Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast. The Power Your Advice podcast is designed to bring financial advisors new ideas, why those ideas should be considered, and how to implement them into your business. This podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place for advisors to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we have Ian Formigli, the Chief Investment Officer at CrowdStreet. Ian is a real estate professional and serial entrepreneur with over 25 years of experience in real estate, private equity, startups, and options trading. At CrowdStreet, Ian serves as the key decision maker for all investments on its marketplace. CrowdStreet Advisors gives clients access to investments that's different from their traditional real estate holdings while helping them achieve their financial goals. Welcome, Ian. Thanks, Doug. It's a pleasure to be here. As I mentioned, you have an incredibly extensive resume in real estate investments, private equity, and have been with CrowdStreet for more than eight years. But let's start at 60,000 feet. What do advisors need to know about current market conditions? I think just to start out, the key thing for advisors to keep in mind is to acknowledge that the the rapid increase in interest rates this year has shocked the market to a degree and that's affecting pricing that we're seeing on a day-to-day basis you know roughly year to date commercial real estate prices are down well they're down at about 13% according to green street that's a leading third party data provider that we subscribe to for the real estate industry and i think that number is roughly equivalent to what we would experience um, out there in seeing deals price right now. Overall, we're seeing prices decline from anywhere from 10 to 20% from peak pricing that we think probably occurred in the beginning of this year, January to February, just as the interest rate hikes were beginning to emerge. And I think that 20 to 10 to 20% is depends upon asset type and location and so forth. Uh, and just to quantify what the interest rate environment has done to the borrowing costs for commercial real estate, which is really important to keep in mind. This is another key consideration because, you know, for the, for the most part, commercial real estate is financed with debt. And so if you can't get the debt, you're typically not getting the deal done. And considering that debt often comprises more than 50% of the total cost of real estate, it, you know, when it moves up in price, it, 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 it affects downward pressure on pricing. And so all in borrowing costs for commercial real estate are up anywhere from five to 8% on an all-in basis this year. And so that is just simply a lot for the market to digest in a short period of time. We're talking a matter of months. The other key thing here, which has affected the markets adversely is the Fed increased reserve requirements for banks at the end of the summer. This caused major money banks, such as JP Morgan Chase, Citi, Wells, B of A, and the like, to, for the most part, exit the originations market. So when you take those major money center banks and you take them out of the market, you, you've now removed a lot of liquidity for lending in the commercial real estate space. And so when you take that liquidity out, it causes a lot of buyers to walk away. And you so you vacate demand to some degree, and that is further contributed to downward pressure and pricing. So I think that next call it the, the 10 to now going to 20% downward uh, movement in pricing, I think has a lot to do with what, what is not having happening in the lending space. 
while it is also continuing to see the effects of the interest rate environment. And so what's interesting to note in all of this is that if you look at what is currently adversely affecting the real estate market, those are things that I would characterize for the most part as being manufactured, right? There, when you, we look at the ground level, you know, we, when we see commercial real estate, we said, is, is it still leasing? Is, are people, you know, are rents still increasing in apartment buildings and are people, you know, staying in hotels and shopping at, at shopping centers? The answer is yes. And they're actually still continuing to do so, you know, on, on an improving year over year basis. So therefore I characterize that the overall fundamentals of real estate are still intact. The rate of growth is slowing as we would expect it to do in a market that is normalizing. Um, but really the shock to the system is a financially driven one that is driven really more by, you know, an overarching Fed policy. So to, to us, that lends at least the, the suggestion that what we're seeing in, in the market right now is potentially, you know, a buying opportunity. How long will the market stay down this long for this period of time? Where will it bottom out and when will it you know, recover? Those are all questions that we, you know, we can speculate on. We don't really know the answer to. But generally speaking, if I can look at an asset and I feel that its balance sheet is intact and the underlying fundamentals of what it's trying to accomplish are still there, yet it's marked down 20%. Well, in the commercial real estate world, that, that that's that's an asset right now that, that's more interesting than it was six months ago. Let's talk CrowdStreet. You have a sentence on your site that drills the opportunity home. It says, real estate is the foundation of your community. We help make it the foundation of your portfolio. Why is it more important than ever for advisors to consider for their clients from a foundational perspective? Yeah, it's a good question. And I'd say from the outset that at CrowdStreet, generally speaking, we're believers in modern portfolio theory. And so when I think about relating that to an individual investor portfolio, I think that the more that that portfolio can mimic what would look something like an Ivy League university endowment portfolio, typically speaking, the better. And so if we look at the composure of what endowment portfolios look like, you will see a significant allocation to alternative investments and you will see direct commercial real estate investments as one of those key alts. And you know, also considering that the to on a total capitalization basis, real estate is the world's third largest asset class after fixed income and cash. I mean, it's actually on a total capitalization basis, larger than all equity markets in the world. It to me just fundamentally makes sense to include it as a portion of a diversified portfolio. And how much? Well, then that's up to the individual investor and with the in, in concert with the advisor. But to me, it, it's an asset class that like deserves a seat at the table. And I think one final component to think about here is that in today's environment, is to consider that commercial real estate, it's a hard asset and it does have a proven history of providing you know, a reasonable hedge against inflation, mostly from the concept that you know, as inflation occurs, rents tend to increase and keep pace with inflation over time. It also has a great track record looking back to periods of the 70s and 80s and so forth that you can see that you know, indexes such as the, the NARI index and NACREF index, these are two indexes that track uh, both private and public commercial real estate. They tend to beat the S&P during inflationary periods. And so to the extent that it's great news right now that inflation is coming down, we don't know really where it levels out. 
And we don't know if it will ultimately hit the Fed's 2% target rate, you know, for the majority of this you know, decade moving forward. So to the extent that inflation remains a little bit higher than average, then we also know that as a hard asset, commercial real estate is a way to, you know, buffer against that higher inflation market, see assets mark to market through rental increases increases in rental income turn into increases in net operating income and that all things being equal increases asset values so it's just generally speaking a, a good way to diversify in an unknown interest rate environment one of the funds that crowdstreet advisors launched this year is a reit what should advisors know about your reit the c reit yeah i think there's a few things to keep in mind when it comes to crowdstreet to begin with c reit is a private real estate fund registered under the Investment Act of 1940 that makes equity investments in multiple private commercial real estate projects, and it is structured as a REIT for tax purposes. Uh, now, on a strategic basis, it's going to target 20 to 25 different investments with some focus, I would say, on the multifamily and industrial asset classes. Uh, I, you know, I lead the investment committee at CrowdStreet that considers, you know, assets for inclusion in the C REIT. And, you know, on a, on a strategic basis, we're leaning into some of our most, you know, tenured, long-standing relationships for for deal flow. And we are targeting a on an annualized rate of return basis to investors. Uh, what we'd say is a fifteen percent IRR or internal rate of return. And it was going to, it's going to generally blend across different strategies, ranging from anywhere from what we would consider a core plus strategy, which is a mostly stabilized asset with in place occupancy with some ability to improve income over time. But for the most part, it's, it's mostly stabilized, leading to value add, which are going to be assets that are have a, a targeted strategy for increasing the income at the asset. That might turn into you know, renovating units at a multifamily property to release at higher rates. And it could even include development projects. Um, we've done a, a number of ground-up multifamily development projects around the country, and we'll still consider things along the lines of industrial development and multifamily development for the fund. Now, from a tax reporting perspective, I think there's, there's some pros and cons to what the C-READ is. I'd say the upside in it is that it is a more simplistic tax reporting structure. Investors in the CRE, they receive a 1099 uh, each January or so at the end of January, I believe. And, it, and it's a straightforward tax uh, document to include into your annual reporting. And that has some benefits uh, in terms of simplicity instead of waiting months into the year for a K-1, which would be more indicative of our thematic funds. Now, so when we like think about our thematic funds, the, I'd say the downside for the C REIT is that you know those thematic funds they get the the benefit of the uh, pass through depreciation. So essentially, they have the ability to receive a tax reportable loss at the end of the year while while potentially receiving distributions. Uh, the difference really for the for the C REIT is the ten ninety nine aspect of it. And also for investors, it is the, the lowest initial entry point at $25,000. It's a lower initial investment commitment relative to some of our thematic funds, which are $100,000 or $150,000. There have been a lot of recent news about some of the larger REITs gating redemptions. Can you talk more about that? 
Yeah, it, it's been an interesting news cycle in regards of, in, in, you know, to the redemptions of some what we're seeing out there and the likes of B Reed and S Reed. In my personal opinion, I think a lot of what's going on right now boils down to what looks like a possible window of opportunity to take off some risk exposure in those assets before net asset values are potentially adjusted downwards. So to me, it feels a, it's a little bit of a potential risk arbitrage. So I'll explain my thinking. Uh, you know, according to Green Street again, should, you know, again that's that data third-party provider that we look at. If you look at the broader public REIT space, you're going to see that public REITs are down on average about 22% year to date. And it can range anywhere from down single digit percentages, if it's a, maybe a, a data center REIT, or it can be 40 or 50% if it's you know something along the lines of office or industrial. Now, when we compare that performance to, like, say, if we want to take B REIT and S REIT, for example, those are those are now have total returns that are nine to ten percent year to date positive, um, and depending upon the share class that you've invested in, with about half of that year to date return through dividends, the other half being the appreciation through an increase of its net asset value or its NAV. And so, you know, I, I think that when you, it's fair to say that while public REITs and private REITs, they don't perfectly correlate, it's also fair to say that they do tend to exhibit positive correlation. They are, are at the end of the day, investing in similar assets. So when you have pretty much the entirety of the public traded REIT sector down year to date, with some REITs down, like I said, as much as 40%, yet you have certain private REITs that are marked up year to date, it is logical to believe that there is a possibility that there's future downward marked market, you know, that is in store for the NAVs of the likes of BREIT and SREIT. And so, and whether it's public real estate or private real estate, like, like I said at the outset, values have gone down in 2022. You know, like I said, on, on the private side, we are seeing prices coming down in the range of 15 to 20%. And we expect some further downward pressure on pricing before it ultimately bottoms out. And so if, if you're an investor in a private REIT, you have the, uh, you have the opportunity to potentially cash out on a holding with a positive return when you see it's publicly traded equivalent down 20 to 30%. Well, that maybe suggests that you might, you know, remove that exposure. And I want to be clear that this is in no way a, a knock on the B REIT or S REIT. I mean, Black, you know, Blackstone and Starward are world class companies. They have high quality holdings. They are uh, staffed with leading industry experts. I mean, they are very high-class institutions. To me, this is just simply uh, a mark-to-market issue. And I mean, if personally, if I was holding a B-REIT, I, I might be looking to liquidate like some of the other investors, but then potentially consider repurchasing shares once the NAV is marked down to a level that, that reflects current market pricing. Where does this type of real estate fit into client portfolios? And how can advisors position their clients to take advantage of opportunities like this next year? Yeah, I think that this type of investment fits into a client's portfolio from a perspective of first, it's an allocation, you know, it's a percentage of a portfolio. And when you think about is that percentage smaller or larger, what we see, for example, with investors who are active on the marketplace is, you know, what is their own liquidity? Uh, the one thing that is fair to say about C-REIT and other types of private investments available on CrowdStreet is that they are, generally speaking, illiquid private equity real estate investments. 
And so really what that means is any investor who comes into the vehicle should be prepared to hold that asset through its duration, the holding periods of which can range anywhere from three years to five years or seven years. You know, they have different targeted ranges. And I think that is the operative term. They are targeted. Um, Vehicles at CrowdStreet, for example, they are self-liquidating. And by that, I mean that as we assemble the portfolio, once the portfolio actually begins to get beyond the investing period, which typically speaking is 24 months, and then it receives return of capital through individual exits within the portfolio, uh, CrowdStreet begins to distribute those funds pro rata out to investors and continues to do so until the fund is ultimately liquidated. Um, but in every case, in every self-liquidating fund that CrowdStreet pursues, the the mindset of the investor is you are in for the duration. If you are looking for liquidity, you know, daily liquidity, you know, monthly, quarterly liquidity, uh, that's best found elsewhere in the portfolio. And I think one of the things that we subscribe to at CrowdStreet is this idea of the liquidity premium, that if you are going to trade out uh, liquidity that should theoretically come with targeted returns in exchange. And so that's how we fundamentally look at it. And we're looking for that liquidity premium. And so when we actually see this deployed, you know, with it, real live investors, you know, that allocation can range. It can range from 15 to 20%, maybe 30% of an investor's portfolio. I think the key thing is to keep in mind is that as an alternative investment in a, you know, a very large ubiquitous asset class, it makes sense in a portfolio. And I think, you know, thinking through that liquidity portion is a, is a key thing. And also to keep in mind that, you know, generally speaking, when we're investing today, we're thinking through what that exit looks like, you know, later this decade. Um, when you make a decision, which is kind of tr- drawing back to some of my comments from earlier, is that when a market is down 20%, it potentially creates a buying opportunity, provided that you think that the future exit opportunity is there. When we look to later in the decade, we do fundamentally believe that interest rates will be in a, in a different you know, state of current affairs that they are right now. We think that markets will be more normalized. Um, we think that that you know, is an opportunity to realize exits um, and they're therefore leaning into certain opportunities where they make sense today. How can advisors best educate their clients about this asset class and the opportunity set provides them? I think the best place to go is really to begin at the top level of the CrowdStreet Advisors site. And that's simply CrowdStreetAdvisors.com. Their advisors can begin to start to look at the different vehicles that are available through CrowdStreet Advisors, learn more about commercial real estate, commercial real estate investing, there's a wealth of knowledge that's there. And I think that's a great place to start. A lot of advisors we've been speaking to recently are interested in learning more about what's on the horizon from your perspective in 2023. What do you think that looks like? Yeah, I think as I spoke earlier, I definitely think that this 2023 period is an interesting entry point. You know, in essence, if the fundamentals remain intact, you know, and again, that's that's a little bit of, of you know of a we don't know, but right now, when we're what we're seeing today, at least still, is that the real estate fundamentals are still intact in terms of occupancies remaining high and rent growth remaining in place while it is migrating quickly back down to longer trend as we would expect it to do. Yet we're in a capital markets environment where a rapid movement and shift in both the Fed policy and then the correspondingly what the interest rates have, have looked like to uh, acquire real estate 
turning into a swift, you know, kind of readjustment in pricing. That suggests that there's there's a potential opportunity to take advantage of what we would equate to a highly inefficient market. And in inefficient markets, uh, to the extent that real estate transacts, it tends over time to benefit the buyers more than the sellers. And so we're looking at those opportunities on a one-by-one basis, and we are leaning in to situations where we feel like we've got great developer or great operator combined with a great asset that is, you know, then paired with attractive pricing. Because we ultimately believe then that if we find those best opportunities, we find them appropriately priced and well-structured, then then there's a decent probability in our minds that those are assets that may ultimately, you know, outperform in the years ahead when markets migrate back towards normalized you know, operating standards, which we believe would occur later this decade. So to me, that's the, that, that is the opportunity that is, is in front of us right now. I think it continues for much of next year. My personal opinion is I, I start, I think that sometime later in 23 is when you start to see some banks move back into the market and providing liquidity again. And to the extent that banks do, that would be to me where you would see some demand return to the marketplace. You would, that would start to equate into upward pressure in pricing and potentially then the beginning of the next upward cycle in the markets. So I think between now and when that occurs, if that's middle of next year, end of next year, you know, the timing of which we really don't know, we're going to continue to lean into those situations on a one by one basis and then assemble those into, you know, CrowdStreet thematic funds and also the C-REIT in particular as we build our portfolio. Ian, this has been incredibly fascinating. Thanks so much for being with us today. Great stuff. Thanks. It was my pleasure to come on today. To learn more about CrowdStreet, please visit CrowdStreetAdvisors.com. Please follow us for timely updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia, our producer, Julia Spallin, and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen.